It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Hello, welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's where we delve into all of the episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. As always, this is Matt here coming back. John Arminio. Hello, the man the man whose last name I just have to say, because usually I just go on a first name basis around here. But <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh how's it going? Yeah, just oh, rolls off back. the tongue. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for jumping Thank in. Um this one, yeah, today's episode is four o'clock. I'm pretty sure it was a first view on my end. Uh, how about how about for you? Is this one you do or? Yeah, this is not one I recognized uh, at all. Um, uh, after watching it, I kind of um, hmm, not surprised I, that that it's <laughs> it was a first time watch. Yeah, I I had a few comments like with this one in the front view mirror rear we don't know rear views after okay front view mirror which doesn't exist but uh people are saying it's a weird one which i i think i could say yes it's a weird one it also does yeah. have some very interesting concepts for 1962 television which will you know yeah maybe bop into but um before that let me go ahead and spew out some trivia the original air date was april 6 1962 the teleplay is a Serling, though based on a short story of the same name by Price Day. Lamont Johnson is back to direct. Uh, he was a TV pro who is regular in the zone. Oliver Krangle is played by Theodore Bickle, and his performance is fully ironic. The dude himself was very active in actors' unions and was also a folky who uh, ran around with icons like Bob Dylan and Pete Seeger. On the acting front, he appeared in the, Af uh, the African Queen, The Enemy Below, and My Fair Lady, and received a supporting Oscar nom for his role in The Defiant Ones. Manya McGill played Mrs. Williams. She was a first-rate star in the Irish film industry of the 1940s, but has a notable genetic claim to fame as the mother of Angela Lansbury. Mrs. Lucas was Phyllis Love. Her main focus was on the Broadway stage, but she also made TV appearances on shows like Have Gun Will Travel, Gunsmoke, and The Outer Limits. Lyndon Childs, I guess that's how you say it, was the FBI agent, Luther Hall. He was a 60s TV guest star presence showing up on Perry Mason four times. But as I do this show, I realize that Everybody was on Perry Mason. Yeah. You, you were. I was probably on Perry Mason and forgot about it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna give you a prologue to rock through. Sure. That's Oliver Krangle, a dealer in petulant and poison. He's rather arbitrarily chosen four o'clock as his personal gutterdammerung, and we are about to watch the metamorphosis of a twisted fanatic. Poisoned by the gangrene of prejudice to the status of an avenging angel, upright and omniscient, dedicated and fearsome. 
whatever your clock say, it's four o'clock. And wherever you are, it happens to be the Twilight Zone. All right. I was like kind of like vicariously stressing out a little bit as you were coming upon uh, Gotterdammerung. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. I got that one. Yeah. yeah. I, I listened to enough um, heavy metal that I'm very familiar with how to pronounce Gotterdammerung. Okay. There we go. I, um, yeah. yeah. I had a few years of German when I was in school, but I also got like C's and D's in it. So uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know how much I should trust myself on that. Um, this one, we only have like four actors, so I guess the, the focus is very squarely on Oliver Krangle as kind of a um a weird morality play, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, so he he becomes obsessed with you know reporting deviance and um like communist influences and um incompetence of whatever he sees evil in the world by you know calling people at all, all hours of the day writing angry letters um and i think the conspiratorial mindset that he has when sort of like he loops all those evils into one big conglomerate of malfeasance and that thinking still seems pretty familiar in the age of QAnon. Um, so I don't think his lunacy is that, you know, far afield from what we see today. But I just think the way the story is told is pretty clumsy, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I guess I'm going to come straight out that there's a lot of things in this episode I found very interesting and like, like mm -hmm. weirdly timely. But yeah, this this might be the dumbest twist we've had on the yeah, yeah. <laughs> thus far. But it's one of those it's, things where there, there actually is a fair amount of the episode that's quite good, but the twist just like, you know, makes the whole thing a, yeah. a little dumb. And then when I was doing the trivia and looked up Theodore Bickle's, you know, history, I was like, oh, that kind of makes it interesting again. It's almost like this is an episode that you should probably just stop two minutes before it ends. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um... In the mid 20th century, there was a real like industry of like leftists and Jewish actors, like plain fascists. Like, they were really good at it. It, it. it started in the 30s when like German expatriates like Conrad Veidt would come over to America to play like evil Nazis. You know, after, after they escaped Germany, they were like, all right, well, we're going to stick it to the the racists and the nazis by playing them as dastardly as we can in the twilight zone is like a, a prime time stage for that uh, yeah, yeah, yeah and and when we were doing one step beyond there were several actors with that sort of pedigree where they were yeah you know coming from the more oppressed um or the the groups that were you know and then people get what i'm going for anyway yes playing against type is uh very effective in, in things like this. Yeah. So yeah, and certainly in a defined ones, him playing a this Jewish actor playing a Southern sheriff, <laughs> a racist Southern sheriff is a stretch for as far as the kind of person he was, but he certainly did it pretty great because he's great in the, in the, in the defined ones. Oh yeah. Yeah. But here I did. I, I think I've said before, I'm usually like interested in a good conspiracy theory, just listening to it, thinking about it. The, I think the catch is, taking it emotionally like if i want to mm -hmm. hear someone rant on about the earth is, is flat i'm willing to listen but i'm not gonna 
get into that mindset of, ah, they're hiding the truth from us, you know, damn them all, that sort of thing. I certainly, you know, don't get into that. I, I like, I guess I like to hear a good tall tale. <laughs> yeah. Except here, it's not a tall tale. It's, you know, like a dozen little tales. Like he's, yeah. he's just ranting, you know, about everything and so it just comes his rants come off as pretty unfocused well yeah he's got like full-on paranoia going basically yeah. but um one thing with the uh i don't know if you're familiar with the uh q anonymous podcast which is you know uh not what it sounds like um <laughs> it, where it's, it's 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 looking at you know like like coming from the not the q point of view but um one thing they do note as they look into those sort of modern conspiracies is a lot of these people do have proper grievances. Are they airing yeah. them out in the correct way? No, but if you're living in a um, you know, methamphetamine-ridden town in the middle of North Dakota, you're going to get a bit grumpy, and there's multiple mm -hmm. ways you can deal with that. So I guess we don't fully see what Oliver Krangel's grievances and maybe it doesn't matter maybe he was you know fired from his job or or lost his house to the bank or something we don't we don't really know what his grievances but we're seeing the after effects of it basically yeah i i th i think it, it might have been more effective if we saw a little bit more of who he was and why he is the way he is just like i guess if i'm putting on my writer's hat you know i either make it that like his father was a subversive or something, so he's on the FBI's watch list, or maybe he lost his job because of some sort of communist affiliation or or suspicion that uh, suspicion of deviance, and so that's why the FBI agent is there in the first place. And like the twist is not that he's the FBI agent is there because because Krenkel called him, but because it's his regular appointment with his FBI handler. And he's just been living in disgrace this whole time or, or something rather than the obvious thing. Oh, oh no, he gets shrunk into two feet <laughs> like he thinks the rest of the world is going is gonna to be. Yeah, my known as the two foot revelation is a weird yeah. one. I don't mind that as it, that being part of his complete insanity. Yeah. Um, again, being the twist at the end with a talking cat was like, mm, I think we ran out of some steam there, folks. But um... yeah. <laughs> but. It's also weird because wasn't the previous episode the little people? Yes, it was. That that yeah. certainly. I think I have a note about that somewhere. <laughs> That's a, for a series where there's like thirty episodes a season. It's kind of weird to put those two episodes right next to each other. Yeah, although I guess that is the network scheduling it that way. Um, yeah, there, there have been instances of like, I think a few maybe it's season two episodes were in season three and yeah there's been a few where it's like why are we back in the podunk woods of kentucky for a second week in a row you know that yeah. might be network scheduling i mean i doubt the people making the twilight zone gave it a thought because no one was gonna ask them anyway so yeah 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 and and they're too swamped making 30 episodes a season to even think of, think about that this one 36 oh my god, god. <laughs> that's why that's we're still insane. in the middle of season three yes for no, I, i've had all, of course we did the strike thing too but all year people oh so you're almost done with season three no no we're not we're still not <laughs> there's still like six or seven episodes to go so season three just goes on forever you're mentioning how 
maybe we um could get a little more backstory on this guy but i was thinking like in a modernist sense of the word this is how someone's going to come across on an anonymous internet board or yeah you know ranting on a I, I guess I'll say radio, but you know, some format like that, a YouTube video. This, this is mm-hmm. the picture you're going to get when you have people ranting at you in this way. You know, I mean, I guess you can look up Alex Jones's past, uh, but that's most people don't. They just see a yell, a shouting angry man, right? And that that's what you get. <laughs> yeah, and I think people get wrapped up in, you know anonymous yeah youtubers and and message board posters and and it um there is the draw of morbid curiosity in actual conspiracy theories like you you go in thinking this is so bizarre and then something about the way the information is presented that draws you in deeper and deeper and you eventually become sort of sold by the conspiracy theory um there's an incredible a comic series uh, from Image called Department of Truth by um, James Tinian and Martin Simmons. And it's about um, where if enough people, it's sort of a the leap of logic is that if enough people believe in a thing, it becomes true. Um, so the fact that so, so the Department of Truth's job is to prevent enough people from believing in, let's say, a moon landing conspiracy uh, so that it becomes retroactively the case. Um, and it talks about how, like, it, it affects people who whose children were killed in, like, a school shooting. And so when enough people start believing that it was a false flag operation to garner sympathy for gun rights activists they start to like see manifestations of their children who are now not dead because enough people believe in the conspiracy and so is it in their best interest to believe the conspiracy so their children can come back to life it's it goes into so many different fascinating tangents of conspiracy theories and how it affects the people involved that like i never thought possible and it ropes in like everything from bigfoot to satanic panic so if you're interested in the subject at all uh department of truth is just an incredible series yeah for sure i know um for me i told you sometimes i'm at least interested in someone's ramble and uh several years ago i'm a big beatles fan so i was like having an an obsess over the the paul is dead conspiracy theory one um i'm i'm one, it doesn't matter is, I guess, the main thing. I like the music. I mean, I assume it probably is the same guy that made it all. And if it's not, that's a pretty interesting story. So anyway, I'm looking at the thing and, you know, album cover, clues, all that sort of stuff. I don't think Paul McCartney's dead. I just think it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, a few years later, I'm like, oh, that was fun. I'm going to go look back. I, I go back to the website, which I will not name. Uh, still got the Beatles header and stuff. And now every article, I, I went like four pages through. And like all of them were about like the Jews. I'm like, what? <laughs> so somehow this thing about Paul McCartney death being fake had snowballed over about a two year period into being just like this completely insane, incoherent ramble against, you know, the Jewish conspiracy. I'm like, how do you get from point A to point B there? Um, anyway, glad I wasn't following for the years in between. <laughs> I, I think it it says something about both conspiracy theories and anti-Semitism and racism is that at the bottom of a lot of these conspiracy theories is like, you know, 
the protocols of the elders of Zion or, 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 or something like, like something completely, you know, nutso and, and racist that it's like, they seem to be perpetually inter intertwined somehow. Um, and it, I think it speaks to how poisonous both of those ideas are. But, and yeah, I guess just the, the pure hatred that influences yeah. those things. I mean, I have a podcast, which I guess you could technically refer to as a conspiracy podcast where you look at the Disney films and kind of look at the stories behind and what's in there. But we like these movies, you know? <laughs> We're not here to be like, you know, I mean, I'm, I guess... Uh, I'm not going to stand up for the Disney Corporation, but I'm not going to sit there and say that they're doing some bizarre, you know, mind game on the entire population. But, it, you know, it's just to look in and see, hey, there's this magical symbol that's from 300 years ago. The original story is very different. That's fascinating yeah. stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who read the original Cinderella and was like, that's a thing for kids. <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, we we just recently did Aladdin. I love that movie. You know, mm -hmm. Robin Williams' genie. It's great. Lots of you know images, things in there. Um, uh, apparently, the one of the interesting things we found out on that was it's basically in the wrong place. It really shouldn't be in the Middle East. It should be more like in India or something, based on the original stories. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So there, there, there is a conspiracy. Hey, it's in the wrong place, but that's that's yeah. fascinating, and that's not that's not a thing to get emotional about that's i guess that's again that's the key and this person is uh krangle is 100 percent emotion like uh, the logic is gone from this guy he's basically yeah. a batman 66 villain at this point yeah and i think that that's i think pretty characteristic of people who are all roped into conspiracies is that they have what they perceive as a coherent system like Krangle does, but it is all emotion. So they, they have a systematized incoherence. Um, and that makes them <laughs> extremely dangerous. Yeah. When he's going through his file cabinets, I'm like, I wonder if he's using the Dewey decimal system with those. Um, yeah, but... probably not. <laughs> or yeah, it might just be randomly in there. I guess, I guess now it would be the, the board with the pictures and the, the threads and the push pins and yeah. all that. But, um, I was thinking like today, if I were making this, I'd probably, you know, cast like Paul, Paul Dano or something doing this mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of doing his uh, Riddler thing from yeah. the last Batman movie. That's kind of the kind of the modern version of this. He, he is a good punchable creep. <laughs> I'm sure he's a very nice man, but <laughs> uh, I'm not so sure about. Oh, oh, you mean Dano? OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, Paul not, Dano. Not, yeah, so, yeah, I'm sure he's. Yeah, but uh, um, but. You know, it makes me wonder, like, the, the set design for his apartment is very interesting. Not only because there's a parrot there that I, I guess is there to give him somebody to talk to when he's by himself. But, you know, there's that, like, um, crocheted um, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And that's it. Yeah, that caught and, my eye. And then there's the Gettysburg Address. And we see him cross out the bit about all men are created equal as if it's, you know, like childish nonsense. Someone just slipped but, that in there. That wasn't in the first draft. <laughs> yeah. So like at one point he bought that, right? Like he found those words so powerful that he decided to hang that on his wall. So what happened between him believing wholeheartedly in, in Lincoln's philosophy and him, feeling the self-righteousness to edit it 
Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you you hate buy stuff. I guess here I'll, I'll give the Trekkie. <laughs> I'll give the Trekkie equivalent of it. Um, that I bought Star Trek Into Darkness like three times, despite not liking the movie. <laughs> Because I think I had it on DVD and then I got on Blu-ray and then my daughter liked the first Kelvinverse film. So I bought it again with Japanese subtitles. So this movie I don't really like that much. I purchased three times. <laughs> it's like pressing on the tanker sore of your Trek fandom over and exactly. over again. But I was like, because, you know, I was trying to get my daughter in some Trek and a lot of the older yeah. stuff isn't so appealing to a, at the time, 12 or 13 year old. So it's mm. like. Okay, she likes Kelvin verse. Let's do Kelvin verse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if I got it in, I'll take it. Oh, I should also uh, do my in episode correction. I I called his pet a cat earlier and not a parrot. When you said parrot, I was like, what? Yeah. There we go. That's a for getting into a conspiracy mind bent. When I said it, I had the picture clearly in my head where his cat talks to him at the end, and that's absolutely not what happened in the episode. That was a yeah. parrot. It, it, made sense that the parrot said something not that coherently but a cat saying it's even dumber so i had made the twist dumber in my mind but uh yeah that that's Memor- something memory's you, fallible yeah right you can't trust everything especially when you're going to start you know canceling people by making phone calls as this guy is mm-hmm. um because yeah w- who do we get uh pushing back on we get we get mrs lucas coming in for her husband which is a little bit weird but I, I don't know. Should Mr. Lucas be standing his own ground? I guess I get in a fist fight if Mr. Lucas showed up. So it's I, I think that. it's interesting how like she says something along the lines of like the hospital has dismissed the Kringle's letters as nonsense, but her husband is very sensitive and so they're really driving him crazy. So I got this, you know, picture in my head of this doctor who lost a patient through no fault of his own, just because, you know, doctors lose patients. That's the, you know, kind of goes with the territory. But I think when Krangle found out about this and started writing letters to the hospital to have him dismissed, that really affected the doctor negatively and sort of like got to him. And so it was up to the wife to stand up for him because he just wasn't up to confronting his accuser. And like, that seems like a really rich narrative that we could have explored maybe, but uh, the episode just sort of like explains it in one line. Yeah. I, I guess that's where I was like thinking the situation is a little weird. Again, we don't really know what kind of state Mr. Lucas is in. Did he complain about yeah. it once? Is he in a deep depression now? We We don't really get that. So Mm-hmm. Um, it also, I, it might be the fact that I've been living in Japan where people never want to have confrontation. So the idea of her just going there to confront a madman, uh, seems a little weird. Like, I, I've been living in a world where you would avoid the madman. I mean, you know, I got, I regularly walk down people, uh, walk down the street with people coming by who, you know, aren't, aren't quite right, you know, talking to themselves or something. That's pretty yeah. common in, in Japan, I guess, cause it's That's safe also, to walk think... around so you can do that yeah Yeah. there's that what an idea um but i think there's also that that culture in i think in a lot of the south and the midwest the the sort of bless their heart mentality but also in um in i think cities like new york and la where people are just so used to weirdos 
that if they see somebody mumbling to themselves naked on the street, they're just it's like, all right, I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Just keep walking to my subway entrance, you know? So I, I don't, I think in America, we, we do have a tendency to avoid uncomfortable situations as well. Yeah. Uh, we should talk about the second visitor. Uh, mm-hmm. What was his name again? I wrote that down. The trivia. That was uh, Luther, uh, Luther Hall. Hall. Luther Hall, the uh, FBI yeah. agent who uh, I guess he's just called to come over. I mean, God, think about that. Colin, could, could you send over an agent, please? Yeah. <laughs> I definitely thought that was interesting. That was probably the most interesting bit of the episode where the guy does a very kind of modern check in on mental health, which is, you know, instantly yeah. shut down. But the fact that he did it on 1962 television, I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, this is not like any 1962 FBI agent. I ever heard of, um, especially when he, he, um, you know, like this is a really idealistic version of the FBI. Uh, you know, when he says, um, Mr. K- when Krangle is saying, uh, or we should just like execute all these deviants. Um, Mr. Uh, the FBI agent says, Mr. Krangle, we have something in this country that makes all that stuff quite unnecessary. Uh, what is that? It's a law, Mr. Krangle. It's the law. Like that, that's a very like a uh, dragnet sort of philosophy that you wouldn't expect from Rod Serling. And so it's interesting that, he, you know, he uses the FBI to give this crank a talking to, especially when Rod Serling himself was, you know, he wasn't black with it, but he was sure uh, assuredly hounded for his political beliefs and it made his, his, job harder certainly maybe that's why he has the uh dashing fbi agent to throw him off the trail man yeah. but uh but even more interesting yeah he, he lays down the law but then it's just like dude I, I, may, I don't have the specific quote but the are you okay you don't seem right i can get you some mental yeah. health if you need it and i was like wow i really don't recall hearing that on television in the 60s previously definitely not in the, the 50s on the um our friends over at genealogy are talking about the rules of masculinity, which are being broken in this episode. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not, you know, aggressively accusing Mr. Krangle of of being a conspiracy theorist or being a waste of time. He's sort of like gently telling him that he needs help. And yeah, that's that's something that you wouldn't see from many places on tv in the 1960s not certainly not from the fbi um and so i, I think it's maybe Sorlin himself sort of like empathizing with these incredibly angry disenfranchised people who are latching out and searching for something to hold on to and he does it calmly in a way that is yeah. actually professional because the tv thing would usually be screaming at him you're out of your mind you need a psychiatric the psychiatrist or whatever you know yeah which he doesn't do he, he actually does it in a intelligent undramatic way but yeah th- i guess that's the part where i didn't want to just like you know two minutes after that we get the the dumbest twist the twilight zone is thrown at us so i'm like i guess i'm really kind of savoring the fact that we got a really good scene right before yeah. that <laughs> yeah 
yeah, um, there is like good stuff in here, and like you know, Theodore Beichel is is great as as lunatic. Um, I, I like his glasses work. Um, uh, a, a prop left over from time enough at last, maybe. <laughs> uh, but yeah. yeah, it it just doesn't come together, unfortunately. Yeah, there there's some other twist, or just leaving him alone in his weird delusion where several people have confronted of him. You know, in the case the FBI agent is actually trying to help him, maybe yeah. a better twist is just leaving him to fester yeah. in his conspiracy apartment. You know, <laughs> I or mean, I guess that's he, what he's he, doing he anyway. Just be like, he. It could be a thing every day, where he says at four o'clock everybody's going to shrink, or he keep because we see him at one point like um, winding his clock, so maybe he could say. Maybe he could be like, oh, my clock's wrong, and sort of readjust it to be 3.30 and then wait. And then at 4 o'clock, he finds nobody's shrunk and then does it does it over and over again. So he's caught in this loop of his own psychosis. Um, but, yeah, him him shrinking and being <laughs> talked down to by a parrot doesn't have much <laughs> much weight. I guess they just wanted to do the that silly composite shot at the end. So, yeah. I mean, I guess it's been a few weeks. since I guess the little people last week... The, had, technically had some special effects going on so <laughs> but yeah th this again it would have been nice to have a little more background with mrs lucas but that was an interesting scene there's these two pretty meaty scenes surrounded by or followed by this this silly twist and i mean yeah. i don't know two feet tall uh, i mean i don't know you could i don't think that's you could still live your life i think it needs more ladders, but <laughs> it's not really you, a, a you, world ender. <laughs> yeah, your food budget would probably cut down by uh, sixty to seventy percent. Well, two thirds, as as he yeah, says. Yeah, yeah. Although I, that'd be only the six foot people would be two feet, right? Other people yeah. would be shorter than that. I don't know. I'd be yeah, I'd be, I'd be shorter than two feet. Sorry. I mean, it's not the worst fate. I mean if this guy is just going to continue destroying people's lives or trying to destroy people's lives for no particular reason, I mean, maybe that, that this is a pretty nice fate for him. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is better than the aforementioned little people where the crazy guy gets crushed by accident by giant aliens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy can keep on doing what he's doing. He just needs a few more ladders. Yeah. And a smaller phone, a smaller pen. Yeah. 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 He's, he could, you know, he's a, he's a mini me now. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's actually just having a review of that last night after having put myself through a love guru. I was like, ah, I got to watch a, a little bit of proper <laughs> proper yeah. powers. It was for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I've been on that podcast. Yes, uh, yes, I would yes, be yes. a little better than the, than the love guru. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that is correct. Yeah, I also did find interesting that you're referring to salt of the earth which is uh the mid-50s very you know kind of progressive socialist movie whereas yeah this guy is the opposite being played by a guy who probably would have been in cahoots with the people who made the with the blacklisted yeah, yeah. folks so yeah, he might have been one of the only people in america to have seen salt of the earth but at that point i, I yeah. expect theodore Michael to have connections in the union on leftist underground yeah, if he's hanging around with Pete Seeger, you know, he's probably yeah. on somebody's list. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, did you have any other uh, big thoughts on this particular episode before I start hitting the questions up? Uh, 
No, I, I think we 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 covered all, all my points, but thank you. Okay. Uh, so as far as the questions go, who in this episode went in or through the Twilight Zone? Oh, for sure, Krangle. We don't have many options, but he's he's the one going into it. Yeah. Although, like we are saying, I think a deeper Twilight Zone would actually be of his own making. I guess maybe that's the problem here, that it's coming from some... what's well, coming from an outside force that is the Twilight Zone. Haha, <laughs> you are too far now. Whereas maybe that's where the twist just doesn't work. It would have been way more effective to have actually been of his own doing, which I guess you could yeah. say because he kept saying everyone's going to be two foot tall. That's evil. But still, I mean, I, I like your idea of he's just constantly turning back the clock because nobody's changing size at four o'clock. So back to 3.30, back to 3.30. Um, that's a much more like harrowing twist, I think, mm. that fits the sky. So yeah, we, well, we get this. We get the silly end of the. So uh, yeah, you you can have your writer's hat for that. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so I, you know, talking about does he deserve it? In that case, I guess I'm going to say he doesn't get what he deserves because he's probably going to keep on. After a few adjustments, he's going to be able to keep on doing what he's doing. I assume, uh, unless he's killed and eaten by the parrot. Yeah, yeah, the parrot did get pretty surly at that point. So, yeah, maybe that's where you know that that's where the sitcom starts. The uh, conspiracy theorist that's that's two feet tall and is antagonistic parrot every week. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a uh, it's like Mister Ed on LSD or something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We will see the Twilight Zone actually trying to start a sitcom in a few weeks, but uh, yeah. Cavender is coming. <laughs> but so what do you think? Does does this guy get what he deserves? Um I, yeah, I, he gets some sort of comeuppance, I guess. Um, but it I'm I'm sure he still thinks he's right. Like he's he's not gonna change his tune and call and apologize to the hospital or to the teachers he he's accused or, or anything. Yeah, and and we don't yeah, we don't see the consequences of him being two feet tall. Yeah, so I, I it yeah, it just seems like a strange twist that that doesn't comport with his actions. Yeah, this this episode does have a a a whiff of oh, dinner's ready in ten minutes. Let's finish yeah. this thing up. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a it's a consequence of having to do thirty six scripts a season. Like they can't all be winners. Yeah, and that is the interesting thing about season three because at this point the production's pretty well oiled. Like the production, mm-hmm. I mean, considering that they don't have a giant budget, they have a early sixties television budget. So, um, but it's like they know how to do this stuff. They know what tropes they kind of fall back to here and there. But uh, and and in the first half of the season, it was definitely like fully well oiled. But yeah, it the some of the episodes are feeling slightly tired i guess this Mm -hmm. being one of those (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it it, um communist um denouncement and like uh pushing people towards conformity uh, those are all themes that 
Sterling addressed over and over again, certainly, and and did so brilliantly on numerous occasions. And so I, I don't fault the show for returning to those sort of themes, but you know, in this case, it just you know didn't come together. But yeah, compare this to the monsters are doing Maple Street, where everyone yeah. formulates their own personal conspiracies within like yeah. five minutes or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm starting to notice where, and, and that is part of the history of the show that Serling is getting a little burnt out by this point in this episode. Yeah. St- again, still has some brilliance in it, but definitely could have gone through maybe drafts three and four uh, first. <laughs> but let's put this one on the tripometer. Zero is not trippy at all. Five is very trippy. Um, where do you want to place this one? Um, if I were to put myself in Krangle's shoes, I think the last moment is pretty dang trippy. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden being a 30 year height and being talked to angrily by a parrot. That's a five. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but for most of it, it's like, oh, it's just a crazy guy making crank calls. That's like a two. Um, so I'll average it out and, and say like 3.5. Yeah, I I started at two because I'm like, well, Krangle's kind of too real. I mean, there people do this. Yeah. They do it on the internet now. They don't make calls, but uh, yeah. it, it happens. Um, and then the twist, yeah, I guess if you're in his shoes, yes, it's five trippy. But watching it, I'm like, again, I'm like, maybe we take that out and put a more subtle twist. So I'm going to bump it up only to 2.5 yeah. on on my end. Um, well, an, an FBI agent from the 60s normalizing mental health care. Um, that's that's pretty trippy. It is. Yeah, I, I liked seeing that, though. That That's yeah. the thing. That particular aspect of the script was pretty genius. So, you know, this is like, a, I don't know, like like Fleetwood Mac's Tusk or something. You know, the 10 songs on there are fantastic or fantastic. And then there's some stuff on there that you could probably do without. Uh, mm-hmm. giving an opinion on an album that nobody thinks about that hard anymore, I guess. <laughs> I like it better than the popular ones. <laughs> no, that's cool. Like that, I, th- I think um, having an opinion on Tusk is interesting because I, I like it when, you know, a band like Fleetwood Mac or, or Led Zeppelin or, or the Beatles, like they're so ubiquitous that, that it's almost like there's nothing more to be said but if you have an interesting opinion on that music i i think that's something worth listening to and worth talking about yeah but i guess that's something where the the twilight zone is sort of uh you know like your led zeppelin or fleetwood mac or beatles of television so mm-hmm. you know something like this it's the failed curiosity i mean another one's the, the beach boys where i very much my favorite beach boy stuff's the late 60s early 70s stuff where it was all falling apart and they were getting very experimental which also, yeah. you know, I, I love to say about the Beach Boys, they made the best songs ever and the worst songs ever simultaneously. So, <laughs> and I mean, yeah, uh, you know, Metallica is one of my favorite bands of all time. And, you know, they made Master of Puppets and Saint Anger. Like, how, how do you, like, what, what <laughs> happened to you guys? <laughs> and I'll, I'll never stop loving them, but it, it's just puzzling that, you know, musical geniuses can just, or, literary geniuses can just so lose the plot at, at some point 
Yeah, that is just the weird disconnect about this episode, because I do think that scene with the FBI is one of the better scenes that's been in the Twilight Zone, followed by like the worst twist. So it's just, yeah, it's it's some whiplash when you're watching this one. <laughs> mm. I guess that's why people refer to this as a weird episode. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, very I think, insightful, um, then very stupid. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big James Bond head, and I think... Um, you know, Die Another Day is one of the most reviled James Bond movies. But if you turn it off like halfway through, it's pretty good because that's just James Bond getting captured by the North Koreans. And then there's this really great like 10 minute escape um, ch- uh, chase sequence where he get he gets out finally. And then after that is when the whole like invisible car uh, ice palace stuff happens. Um and so that's why I think, like that film, it, that juxtaposition makes it a, such a bizarre viewing experience, uh, just like this episode. See that one. This one is an anthology. This one just sits. You have to take it for what it is. And um, yeah, I, I've I've spewed out in multiple ways my theory on Die Another Day that if you watch it, is he's rotting away in the North Korean prison, and that's all his fever dream. Uh, and so, sure. And then in the next movie, you get a new Bond, right? So, yeah. <laughs> You're, so I guess Pierce Brosnan withered away and died in a North Korean prison. That's that's how I, I don't know. Maybe that's too dark of you on the movie, but it does make it watchable. Because now you're like invisible car. Well, yeah, of course he's hallucinating yeah. on the floor of this prison. Why so why not? Ice Palace. Yeah, he's in a. It's too hot. It's summer in North Korea, so he's imagining an ice wind palace. surfing 007. Oof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, is it, yeah, this is the one where he surfs the. The tidal wave, or is it the is that the world's not enough? No, that, it's this one, this one, because yeah. they set up the surfing. Yeah, yeah, that's fever dream yeah. stuff. I like that. So, um, I, I'm also a man whose favorite Bond movie is Moonraker. So maybe you shouldn't like take my opinion too seriously. <laughs> no, I I love Moonraker. It's not my favorite, but I think it rocks. It's the one I watch the most often. It's funny. I have a friend who also loves. He's like, yeah. I love the first half, and then I, I get not really into the second half. I was like, "Oh, I thought the second half was a good half." So <laughs> we're coming up All from opposite stuff ends. In space. I like yeah. the space stuff. That's right. It, it, um, it looks like it was made ten years before Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, even though a lot of the Cashin movies did that, you know, Battle Beyond the Stars, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll wind this one down for today because we, we we've definitely fallen off the toilet. So <laughs> fine, but um, uh, what's going on over at the the popcorn escaton? I I you just what? I think yeah. I, I saw uh, you I'm just sorry. the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. Did I say um, it wrong? No, yeah, popcorn escaton. Um, oh, that's got it right. Good. The uh, the podcast I do with my friend Scott Thorough. We talk about leftism and religion in movies. May- E, uh, that that includes movies that have an express religious or leftist bent, and sometimes we choose to read a movie uh, in, in that way. And so our latest episode tackles The Matrix, made by the Wachowskis, and you know there's all sorts of religious allegories in that one, as well as some uh, trans a- allegories that the Wachowskis were sort of uh, sneaking in there in a couple or many brilliant ways. And so it was a real fun discussion. For sure. And um, it's on the Zebras in America podcast feed, if anyone is interested. 
radio and yeah i actually have that one queued up because i'm always interested in some matrix chit chat <laughs> but i saw i just Thank i don't know when you post it but i saw the at least i saw the twitter yesterday so <laughs> yes i posted it um friday so that's what five days ago okay Four so it wasn't ago. it wasn't untimely that's good yeah uh as first one it's time enough podcast uh i guess we're on x maybe we're on facebook you can support us on Patreon, Podcastio, Podcastius, uh, where we do some other ones. Of, of course, John, you mentioned you've been on Films and Filth, uh, where we look at the top 100 and bottom 100 movies as rated by IMDb users. And uh, you can hear John on Salt of the Earth, which we did during the strike and was uh, probably the most fitting movie to do during a strike. So thanks for bringing that one our way. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It was a great yeah. conversation. Uh, there's some other ones with podcast 1999 about space 1999 and some video game ones. Luke loves Pokemon, Hyrule Field Report, and the Game Game Show, which is a kind of British panel style game show. Okay, I got all that out. I can turn the tape recorder off. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as always, thanks for popping in today, John. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm always up to talk Twilight Zone. And uh, we will see what happens at four o'clock. Um, well, actually, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to have two foot tall people using me as a jungle gym. That's what's going to happen at four o'clock <laughs> because I have uh, little kids to teach at four o'clock today. <laughs> Good luck. Bulldogs of authority, delusion and rage.
think therefore I am I danced with Lila into ultimate reality in the sunshine of somebody Culture Manufactured Survival Response Economy Bates and switch labor for the things that you want Government frames the laws to keep you safe in a cage. Military pillars of authority, delusion and rage. with Lila into ultimate reality in the sunshine of Samha.